We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today we're going to talk about the coaching search. The Lakers have been sending a a troop of people, a, a parade, around the United States to meet with various coaching candidates. They've met with Juwan Howard, Monty Williams, and Ty Lue, not necessarily in that order. They've had second interviews for Ty Lue and Monty Williams now. We do not have any word on if they're going to be incorporating any other candidates into this field, but by all accounts, this seems to be the trio that they're going to be settling on or choosing from. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're, we're going to start with actually the process of it. There's been, in my opinion, some very understandable consternation about the fact that the group of people has included Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis, along with Rob Polenka. We got news today that Joey and Jesse Bus were included. And Jeannie is going along too, which I do think is a good thing that Jeannie is involved with that. So from what we know so far, Darius, what is your, we're processing a couple of different things, right? The whole like, oh, this is what our front office is going to look like. And we uh, went on about that and, and waxed loquacious about that in the last episode. 
while we're trying to be like, oh, hey, who's our, our coach going to be? So just in a broad sense, what's been your take on the process in which they've searched for a new coach? So we're starting out well here. Hmm. <laughs> I guess I'm of two minds. The first is that there's still no idea that's been presented verbally by ownership or by even Rob Polinka about what real front office roles are moving forward. So the first part of me says that until there's some sort of announcement that this is who the group is and that this group is not changing and that they don't plan to make any hires above Rob Polinka, then I feel like this process is sort of tainted by that fact, just because I don't feel like ownership or Genie Bus specifically has basically come out and said, look, Magic Johnson resigned. We wish him well, like we said in, in our statement. This is our plan moving forward. Rob Polinka is going to be the main basketball decision maker. Maybe her as Jeannie Buss is going to be involved a little bit more. We'll beef up the front office in ways X, Y, and Z. We don't have names for you at this point yet. And so we're moving forward in this way. So I feel like if all of that was said up front, I would feel like, okay, this is a normal coaching search. So, which brings me to where I am of the second mind. Everything that I just said that I wish that Jeannie Buss or Rob Palinka would come out and just say, all of that can pretty much be assumed at this point yeah. because they've not it'd said be it. Very strange if, it'd be very strange if they came in after all of this and then hired somebody else considering the process of what everything else has been. It would be strange. I would not put it past them. <laughs> like, strange is what we do, baby. We, yeah. I just feel like we're at that point with this front office and with the Lakers at this point where skepticism reigns supreme. So I would prefer that we get some sort of statement like that, some on the record thing, even if it was just in print, like no one in front of cameras or a microphone or anything like that. It doesn't need to be that. Yeah. Just put out, just a press put release, out a press yeah. release, just like they do for everything else. Like, Hey, LeBron James is up for the community assist award. I got that in my email. The other day, I could get yeah. another one in my email, just as five, saying some version of what I just said earlier that I wish that we had gotten. So the second part, when I say that I'm of two minds, the other side of that is this is a pretty straightforward search that they're doing right now. And if there was no cloud over the organization, this is sort of what I would want the search to look like. They have identified multiple candidates with various levels of pedigree and, and experience. They have interviewed the main trio that we've discussed at least once and are on the way to interview Monty Williams for the second time. They've had individual interviews, one with Rob Palinka. Now they're doing group interviews with more sort of input and decision makers in the room. This is sort of what I'd want it to look like in general. And, and, and so... If I leave all the baggage behind and don't look back, I guess I could say I'm perfectly happy with this because it seems reasonable. I have a theory. I think Jeannie Buss is the president of basketball operations for all intents and purposes. I think the way that all of this is working, so there's been a lot of 
like the names of Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis have really ruffled feathers in Lakerland about their particular inclusion. I think we've kind of come to terms with Palenka. Our last episode was titled Palenka and I ranted and raved and all of that. And I know that I'm, you know, screaming into the void and that none of it matters. I understand why Palenka stays. Linda Rambis is a name that has, that is kind of new to Laker fans in terms of understanding her level of importance. To some degree, she doesn't, her being included doesn't bother me because she's always going to be included. She's Jeannie's confidant. She's her number one most trusted person. She is the consigliere to Jeannie Bus. Yes, exactly. Now, where that becomes problematic with Linda and Kurt is Linda has no track record in basketball operations, and Kurt does, and it's absolutely awful, right? So we don't know about her and we know about him and it's bad both as a coach and as a front office executive i would say as a so, lead so yes, as, right as a head coach right exactly right and so we have experience with kurt rambis in a different way and genie bus does too kurt rambis sure. was phil jackson's right hand man for mm-hmm. several years as yes. part of the first run of three pete before kurt left to take i think the timberwolves job correct right so Jeannie's quite familiar with Kurt on a professional level and has seen him within the confines of the building have success, right? Or be part of a successful operation. What Kurt has done as the lead guy is quite different. And we can get into this a little bit later, but this is where I think the bubble that the Lakers are currently operating in is a tricky one for when the decision makers are strictly operating inside of it, right? This idea of Lakers exceptionalism and the things that we have seen inside the room are things that have been successful. What they do everywhere else, there was no Lakers fairy dust sprinkled on top of that, (laughs) right? And, And that's certainly a way to look at it. And I have a growing feeling that... That matters more to these decision makers than it probably should. And, yes. Right? But that's where we are. I have no problem with Jeannie Buss confiding in her closest friend on what on the big decisions in her life and in her business. I think most of us do that to some degree. Uh, the problem is the lack of basketball people in the room right like if linda rambis is joining genie bus and if kurt rambis i guess like i'm actually more okay with linda rambis being involved than kurt rambis strangely even though kurt has the the basketball background because again linda is genie's best friend and confidant and the only difference between now and a week or two ago is that the public knows more about linda rambis's involvement this has always been the case they go back 30 years and so her confiding in her best friend, if it was like Jerry West in the room with them instead of Rob Palenka, that to me start you like, hey, you got your basketball person, you've got your closest friend who you really trust. That's when you start getting into these multitude of opinions that don't have to all be about basketball, but they're so thin on the basketball front that that's when it becomes problematic. Going back to the idea of Jeannie Buss being the president of basketball operations, there's a a trope in Lakerland that we've all kind of bought into, and I have certainly, that I'm starting to think isn't really true, and it wasn't true before either, which is 
Jeannie Buss keeps her hands off of the basketball operations, that she hires people and she gets out of their way. Well, what do we know that's actually happened, right? She fired Jim, and we all understood that and the dynamics within that, but then hired Magic, and we don't know exactly the process, and we discussed this in the last episode, of how they got put together, but Magic did not pick Rob Polenka. Like you said, he didn't necessarily push back, most likely. Like, they probably came to an agreement, but it seems pretty apparent that Jeannie put them together. There's a certain amount of... Meddling is too pejorative of a word for it, but that is not hiring magic and saying, hey, you pick all of your people that you want. We want this to be something where, like, the chain of command is very established from bottom to top in the basketball operations, and I'm putting my hands off of this. This is for your your show to run. I don't think that's what happened. I think that we're pretty sure of that at this point. Then... Magic wanted to fire Luke Walton, and Ginny pushed back on that and said no early on before eventually being okay with that. And then, now part of this is going off of what Magic has said, but I think this is this is part is believable at least. Magic wanted to fire Palinka as well, and Ginny said no, even though she said that she was fine with firing Luke and that. All of that, it's within the owner's rights, obviously. She's the owner. She can, she can do what she wants, but that flies in the face of the idea that she's this hands-off owner that hires basketball people to let them do the basketball things. So when you combine that with what's happening now and with Magic not being replaced and with her traveling, and not just traveling, but she is putting the people in place. Like if Kurt Rambis gets an elevation in power, is that coming from Rob Polinka? No, that's coming from Jeannie Buss. Right. And if she's not hiring the people so all of the people that she's putting in place to do the day-to-day stuff that's her. That's not a president of basketball operations. And I think that makes her the de facto president of basketball operations in and of herself. So I was nodding a lot when you were talking there. Um, I appreciate that. Derek. When when you go back to even when Mitch and Jim were fired, one of the ideas that was central to their dismissal was the lack of communication. But... Even within that idea of they're not communicating to me, even that is sort of tied to this, you sort of need my approval in order Mm -hmm. to do some of these things, right? Like um, there was this idea that like one of the central things that had popped up that Jeannie was not happy about was some activity that around a trade deadline where there was this idea that several of the Lakers young players or one or more of the key young players was going to be included in trade discussions. Yeah. It was trade discussions with the Sacramento Kings for DeMarcus cousins is what that was. I want to say that there was this idea that maybe Brandon Ingram was going to be put into that deal. And Jeannie was unaware of that. If I'm recalling the reporting correctly, and that sort of upset her because there was this understanding, she thought, I believe, that none of the young players were going to be included in any deal unless she was told about it and that she was consulted on that. So I only bring that back up because I think it only bolsters the idea that you were saying before that like she's hands off until she's not. And most of the time her hand seems much closer (laughs) than what you would imagine if it's really going to be off the entire time. So, yeah. And look, all owners have their hands. Absolutely. In things. So 
I'd, I'd be perfectly fine with her taking a more proactive approach if that's what she thinks is going to get the team back to where it needs to go. In a sense, they are the Lakers, and you could go back, when you go back to, to her father's days under Dr. Jerry Buss, Pat Riley, Magic Johnson, Kareem, like some of the biggest names, Phil Jackson, some Kobe, Shaq, some of the biggest names in the entire league have been Lakers, right? Mm-hmm. But everyone always knew it was Dr. Jerry Buss's team. You know what I mean? Yes. People may say, oh, well, Sha- it's Shaq's team. It's Kobe's team. And then people like you and me would be like, nah, man, like, the, right. like this is Jerry Buss's team. You know, and that's also that was built on the idea like he won a championship in his first year, you know, like he was able to if if Jeannie came in, took power and the Lakers won a title right away, we wouldn't be having this discussion. And if she said, you know, Kurt Rambis and Linda Rambis are coming along with me. Hey, okay, that's a little weird. But yeah, you know, you've won titles. We're we're totally fine with it. It's when you combine that with the lack of success that all of this stuff starts to become questioned. When you're Jerry Buss and you win in your first year, you buy yourself some some cachet. Yes, well, see, I'm not even going in that direction, even though that's a point that's well made and well taken by me. It's more about look, all owners dictate the direction of the organization, even ones who you couldn't pick them out of a police lineup. You know, yeah. I wouldn't know. Peter Holt from Peter Tosh. You, you, you know what I mean? But I know that he is setting the direction for the Spurs franchise and aligning R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich. And he may be letting those guys work, but I guarantee you there's not a major decision that happens within that organization that Peter Holt is not made aware of and at least consulted on in, in, in order to give his past that like, yeah, we're good to go with this. And if that's the tack that Jeannie Buss is going to take, personally, I'm all for that. And we'll see how the decision-making plays itself out as long as she's going to put herself in front. What's been problematic, I feel like, is she has supposedly not put herself in front, but seemingly behind the scenes, there has been a little bit more finessing than what you might expect for someone who has publicly gone on the record and sort of said, I'm not a basketball person. I'm hiring basketball people in order to make basketball decisions. Now, we had actually spoken about this on a pod maybe about a month ago where I had said, I don't know if Jeannie Buss fashions herself a basketball person. She said that she doesn't. I definitely think she fashions herself a people person. And mm-hmm. and a business person and 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 a business person. Yes. And so I like I just don't think that there's going to be that this clean separation of church and state when you're talking about <laughs> every decision that happens is going to be a people decision in this business, because I've said it before that all businesses are people businesses, man. And the NBA, especially so when you're the Lakers, especially so when you're trying to reel in the biggest name players and hire high profile people, you better put yourself in a position to be able to manage them effectively. And that's not going to work if you say, oh, well, there's really a wall here and I'm the owner, but the basketball people are going to make basketball decisions. No, those decisions involve people. And we already know your attachment to the people 
And so I'd prefer that she just own it and and say this is like I'm providing the direction here and I'm the one who's setting the tone for the organization and look and then let the chips fall and then let her be judged accordingly because this heat is coming for her. It's around yes. the corner and yes. and she better be ready to take it and own it and be able to push back against it because she is not going to work if she's not. It's just not. I think there's some degree of learning curve for her and any new owner, right? Like her role since Jim has been gone, especially is different than it was prior to that. Even with hiring Magic Johnson, she is a more prominent member of the organization and she is a more prominent owner and, and controlling governor and all of that. And I think that this is part of her learning. I think she learned that, you know, hiring somebody as volatile as Magic Johnson, you got a volatile ending to that. And she's learning different things along the way. And she has talent as a business person, as a people person. The problem is that there's a vacuum in the basketball people of this organization that because there's a vacuum, everyone is filling it a little bit. Like Linda Rambis is going to fill the basketball vacuum. God help us. Kurt Rambis is going to help fill the basketball vacuum. Ginny Buss is going to do it. And even if it's not intentional, it's going to be by default because there aren't enough basketball people handling those sorts of things. So I am sympathetic to the idea that she's going to have to learn certain things and she's going to make mistakes along the way. But I think, like you said earlier, I'm overall okay with how this, the coaching search has been conventional, even if the people who have been interviewing those coaches have not, or there's an absence of that basketball person. But that is going to be something that is a recurring theme until she's able to bring a basketball person in who is somebody outside of the circle of who she trusts. The elevation of Kurt Rambis, keeping Rob Polinka around, her continued reliance upon Linda Rambis, they all fit the same thing of these are people that I can trust, which is great, and that's something that you need in business, but they cannot be to the detriment of the content of what you're actually trying to produce, which is a good basketball team. So before we continue, while that's stressful, and life can be stressful, uh, getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to GetEthos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. GetEthos.com. So our coaching options, as we laid out at the beginning, are Ty Lue, Monty Williams, and Jawan Howard. Thanks for leaving out Jason Kidd, by the way. We're not going to talk about him, but thanks for leaving him out. Thank you. Just, yeah, you, I, I, you know, you can even edit this part out so that his name didn't come up at all. I, <laughs> I, I imagine it will get left in, but that's fine because that's as dismissive as I want to be about this bro so that report and you're an oakland guy man you know like so if you know if you're saying that about another oakland Look, guy I, I, at Cal, right? i love jason kidd as <laughs> as a player when when i was in high school i had my little number five cal jersey mm -hmm. right uh -huh. when when i played pickup kid is one of my favorite players all time your all-time favorite players don't end up being your all-time favorite something else 
No kidding, man. So. No kidding. We, we learned that uh, yeah, the, the hard way. Only multiple times. Months. Right, so. yes. So, yeah, I, I'd like to think that that was a favor to, to the agent or whatever I have way I have to rationalize that is how I'm going to rationalize that. He, and he does not appear to be a primary contender for that. So, uh, so our three candidates are Ty Lue, Monty Williams, and Jawan Howard. And if I think the sense that's been put out there, I have no information on this one way or another, but I think it's probably more of a Ty Lue versus Monty Williams thing with Jawan Howard as a distant third. I, maybe I get surprised, but that seems to be the feel for it. I've been working on a Ty Lue video. I'm going to move on to a Monty Williams video, and it depends on how quickly they go with the hiring process of this. From what I've seen, I have a strong preference for Ty Lue. He's somebody, if you asked me a month ago, I would have been a little more lukewarm about it. But from going over the video, I'm I'm really... He has really good spacing principles. His offense can get a little stagnant. One thing that I think that was really curious to learn in doing the research for that was he can let the players outside of LeBron kind of do their own thing a little too much, right? So like when when they run Ty Lue's plays, they're actually pretty good plays with good spacing, good concepts. There are too many possessions where, like it's one thing to clear out the side of the floor for LeBron to do his thing. It's quite another when you let Jordan Clarkson or J.R. Smith do that. And Ty Lue is not as assertive as other coaches are in that respect of like, if you try that crap with like Greg Popovich or someone like that, he's going to ream you and take you out of the game for diverting and diverging from the plan. Lou is a little more, he's a little too loose with it. He's got a couple of things that, you know, I don't love from a schematic standpoint, but overall I think he's a, a pretty good coach. Do you have any feelings on, on Ty Lue and kind of what he could bring to the table? So I have not dug into the tape yet with any of these guys. I've more been studying them from like a surface level and just sort of getting a sense of like what their fan bases were saying about them when they were and what like people who run yeah, sites. No, that's and, a great way. The and, people who watch them every single day are some of your best resources for finding out what a guy's like. Yeah. And so I will say this about Ty Lu is he seemed super well respected and not a lot of like bad things were being said about him overall as a coach, which is sort of refreshing, I guess. And maybe that's just like the Cleveland sports environment where they were sort of, you, you know, Cleveland has this sort of down on their luck identity when it comes to their sports fandom. And Lou, along with LeBron, or Lou was part of that, LeBron team that brought them a championship. And so maybe that influences the perspective on how he was viewed in the aggregate across his entire time. But when just from my own experience of watching those Cavs teams make deep playoff runs and listening to podcasts from people like David Griffin, who is now mm -hmm. the president of basketball operations for the Pelicans and not the Lakers. Let me just say that Griff has done a ton of media because he's been working in media since mm -hmm. he left the Cavaliers. And Griff had nothing but positive things to say about Ty Lue in the aftermath of him leaving the organization. And when I say him, I mean Griff. So he would consistently talk about how prepared he was for the playoffs, how schematically he would find the right adjustments for specific matchups that he would take 
a greater initiative in terms of trying to scheme defensively against specific teams. And it was one of the re- and Griff said that it was one of the reasons why the Cavs typically performed better defensively in the playoffs than they did in the regular season is because Lou had a bigger hand in defensive game planning when the playoffs mm-hmm. came around. So I mm-hmm. thought that those were sort of like interesting behind the scenes tidbits that yeah. that were being relayed about a coach that you know, let's face it, we saw this this last year with Luke Walton is that when things go right, it's just like, wow, look at LeBron's team go. And when things go wrong, it's just like, well, look how the coach is messing it up. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's like the worst, the best and worst job to have. It, your comment about, you know, them being better defensively in the playoffs is actually, I think, very important because that's something that those Cleveland teams, if you look at their defensive rating and, and some of their performance on tape in the regular season, they're not particularly great on that end of the court. Now, they had some older players. There were some other factors that, that went into that. But Effort um, stuff too, so, right? Especially his last yeah, season. Totally. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the one thing that really stood out, I've been focusing on the offensive end with Lou. And the one thing that's really stood out with me is that he has a talent for using what the defense is doing against them. So he does a lot of really clever stuff with screens. I'll have a video out probably Saturday or more likely Sunday on uh, the pick and roll variations that he uses. And he does a lot of like changing screening angles where a guy will come up on a step up screen and fake like he's going to set that screen on your left shoulder. So the hedge guy starts shading that way because everyone's so concerned about LeBron that they are more urgent in how they do things. And you can actually use that against them. So, you know, you go up to set that screen on the defender's left shoulder, and then you switch it to his right shoulder at the last moment, and the hedge guy's totally out of position. LeBron, you know, blows by on the other side because there's no hedge there and then dunks on your help defender or kicks it out to the open three if the help defender rotates over a little earlier. There are all sorts of really, like, little clever things that he does to use what the defense is doing against them. His uh, after-timeout plays, his ATOs are really good. I, I don't want to make it sound like Ty Lue's the best offensive coach in the game, but I do think he's a top 10 offensive coach. I really believe that. I think he's closer to that 8-10 to 10 type of range. Yeah. His offenses can get a little too stagnant. I think there's a perception out there that you just hand the ball to LeBron, and that's all that Lou did was give the ball to LeBron or Kyrie and get the hell out of their way. And... A weakness of his, I don't love how he attacks switches. It's very much like matchup hunting and mismatch hunting yeah. where you just give the ball to one of them, which is understandable, but that is about the entirety of how he attacks switches. So I'd like to see some differences on that front. But all in all, I think he's a very good offensive coach. Yeah, I thought one of the bigger criticisms that hung over him his entire time in Cleveland was his ability to sort of optimize Kevin Love in real ways. Like Mm. the Minnesota Kevin Love never really reappeared in Cleveland. And Mm -hmm. I think that Lou caught some heat for that. Other folks might point at the fact that like Toronto Chris Bosh never really appeared in Miami either. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe just sort of that, oh, stretch big man and how that type of player gets relegated when playing next to two perimeter stars. So I'd be super interested in seeing if Lou were the coach, whether or not he could, how his strengths as a coach in maybe coaching perimeter play Mm -hmm. would translate to the perimeter talent that the Lakers have because they currently do not have that big man guy 
who you want to sort of feature offensively. Mm-hmm. Like in a way, I'd almost prefer Lou to coaching the team that the Lakers have based off of the types of rosters that, he had, that he's had success with in Cleveland than maybe the Lakers dumping almost all of their perimeter talent to get, say, Anthony Davis. Right. Right? Because I just don't know, based off of the types of offenses that Lou was running while in Cleveland, how he would integrate a player like Davis in to that outside of screen and roll actions. Yeah, his teams are... I don't think he popped with his big enough or he emphasized that enough where, you know, and, and so they are vulnerable to drop coverages, which is something the Lakers roster is already vulnerable to because you've got guys in Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram specifically who are not pull up threats off of the dribble to shoot at three and you don't have that pick and pop big as well. And so that that particular combination is something that teams will run a lot of drop coverages against because you are not putting pressure at the rim or you're not putting pressure beyond the three-point line. So if all you have to do is take away the rim, it's hard to take away two things. So if the offensive limitations of the talent dictates that they're not going to be able to, as a big, shoot a pick and pop three or as the ball handler, pull up off of that screen and hit that open three because the big is hung back in a drop coverage by the by the rim. All they have to do is take away the rim. So if, if that's all they have to do and they're going to surrender a 16-footer, hey, go for it, right? That's what the, the defense wants. So I think that that's probably my biggest concern from a technical aspect of that's a weakness of Ty Lue's that also fits a weakness of what the roster is right there. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that having more in the way of a pick and pop big would help, but he didn't do that quite enough with Kevin Love. So that'd be interesting to see how he handles that. It was also super, super tricky with Love because LeBron Love screens almost would always just result in a switch. Mm-hmm. And those lineups with Kevin Love at the five were just horrid defensively. So right. there were always like, holes to plug with whatever they were trying to do. And if you have got Tristan Thompson at the five, he's not going to pop. I actually, that was one of the things I was most impressed by is his ability to maintain spacing with a big who could not shoot at all. Yeah. And well, that's the thing though, is that when you're playing LeBron at the four potentially, or Kevin Love at the four, and then the other guys on, on the court are some combination of Kyrie and J.R. Smith and, Kyle Korver, you you know, you are manufacturing spacing off of personnel and not even off of scheme. Sure. You know, so how good of a coach is Lou? I think that's actually going to be determined in his next spot. I, mm-hmm. I think that he's a good coach based off the fact that look at the list of championship coaches in this league. And there are plenty yeah. of coaches who never win. Even with yeah, really you don't good win talent. a talent. You don't win a title by accident. Not in the like, NBA. Co- yeah. Like not in the yeah, NBA yeah. in best of seven series, right? Like that just doesn't happen. So I think that from that standpoint alone, he has an elevated credibility in my mind versus someone even like Monty Williams, who is clearly well respected around the league. But Williams comes with his own issues and if you think now's a good time to transition to Monty Williams, I'm more than happy. I was say, see, the segue would have been perfect had you just not said, just go into no, it. No, no, no. So one of so <laughs> I actually read an article that one of the Pelicans blogs 
um, and at that time it might have been the Hornets actually, that uh-huh. they had written about Monty Williams near the end of his tenure. And those teams weren't super talented. So we're starting from a different place than we are from Tyron Lue and right, the absolutely. rosters that he was coaching, right? That's not to say that Monty Williams didn't have some good teams. He made the playoffs a couple of times in in his five-year stint. He coached Chris Paul. He then transitioned and coached Anthony Davis. He had, and he had playoff berths with two completely different rosters centered around two completely different stars, right? And the transition from one to the other. Yes, and so he was the bridge between both, and he led both teams to, to the playoffs. That in itself should be applauded, especially in a tough Western Conference. That said, by the end of his tenure in New Orleans, there were some troubling things, like his teams were really poor defensively, like in the bottom five of the league. Offensively, they just never really found a way to to optimize the talent that they did have. Davis was obviously a top flight player. You 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 know, he was talked about as one of the best number 1 overall picks, right, in the past 10 or 15 years. And Williams helped grow Davis into the type of player that he's now blossomed in to even further now under Alvin Gentry. That said, I think that Williams is a guy who seems to be more of like a leader of men yes. than an X's and O's guy, which sounds like the coach that the Lakers just fired. <laughs> that that's I, I think about that a lot, about the Monty-Luke comparisons as well. And I'm not saying that you need to go... I think one of the problems that indecisive or teams who don't necessarily have the right direction in mind, what they often do is they chase a guy who's opposite of the last guy. Who who were our last three coaches? Just to speak to your point. So it went, so most recently was Luke Walton. Before uh-huh. that, it was Byron Scott. Uh-huh. Right? Before that, it was, I think, what, Mike Brown? No, Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni. Yes. And then before that, it was Mike Brown. So... That's a pendulum swing right there, man. Right, and so that's like tic-tac-toe. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You, you, and they just jump the whole board. I think that, to me, the, the best coaches are the right blend of offering really strong lead, well, well, leadership and obviously tactical X's and O's acumen so that so you not only have the ability to scheme, but then generate buy-in in order to execute the scheme. And you see it over and over again with the best coaches in the league. That's what they do, right? They find a way to get their guys to compete at a high level and execute at, at a high level. And those guys win time after time after time. Monty Williams is a guy that I think really needs a, a strong lead assistant, like X's and O's type of guy that this is, you know, this could be the second chance of a of a Luke Walton type to work out, right? Where Monty, f- first off, the last coaching gig that he had as a head guy was about five years ago, if not five years ago. Uh, and the league has changed a lot, even though that doesn't sound like a lot of time. The, you know, 
offenses, the focus on the three-point line. It's just very different than it was even five years ago. Monty Williams was not on the cutting edge of the offensive game even during his time. So he'd be a guy where you're hoping that his experience with Team USA, his experience with the San Antonio Spurs, his experience with the Philadelphia 76ers, all of whom have really quality coaching staffs and concepts in place, would bleed through into what he does at his next coaching job. Now, I it's easy to... This is one thing I think I've learned under Luke Walton, is that it's easy to be like, oh, well, if he's not a good X's and O's guy, you can just hire that great lead assistant and then you're square. The Lakers did not do that, obviously, with Luke. But I also think that while it's great to have those secondhand guys, the head guy has to have really a great deal of command over the X's and O's of his team. Even if he's not the guy who's implementing the specifics of it, he has to be like Tex Tex Winner was the triangle guru, but Phil Jackson really knew the triangle offense, right? And, you know, Pat Riley had his assistants, had Burtka and had other guys uh, working with him, but Pat Riley knew all of the sets that they were running. And so part of my concern with Monty is that he needs to have taken a leap forward over the last five years. But if he has, and even if to, if it's just to the point of him being good at it and hires strong assistants around him, I do think he has that leader of men type of quality to it. But if we do walk away with Monty Williams, I have, it's just another like, yeah, but the actual meat and potatoes of the basketball stuff, it's just another area of the organization where they are lacking in the basketball part, even if the basketball part is not the only part that matters in getting the output of a basketball team, ironically, to be as good as you want it to be. Um, and that's also part of the reason why I wouldn't be surprised at all if Monty is the guy who ends up with it. Last guy, we don't know much about Juwan Howard, right? He he played with Rob Palenka at Michigan. He was an assistant coach for the Miami Heat, which he still is, uh, while LeBron was there. he's got He's paid his dues, right? He's exactly the type of guy that... If you get promoted from an assistant coach to a head gig, the, he's the type of guy that gets that. Right, He's paid his dues. He's a former player. He, he knows his hoops, got relationships around the league, all that prime candidate for that. Darius, do you think that this is the type of job that a first-time coach can walk into? Yes and no. Ha. We got yes. we, we So we got it in. We got one in. Um, I think Howard, to me, is an intriguing candidate because – he not only was he an assistant coach on a team that LeBron was a player, but he played with LeBron as well. He has, and and I'm extrapolating here from his time as a player, right? But Juwan Howard was sort of this like no nonsense, competitive, blue collar type of player who also was fairly talented in his own right, right? Mm-hmm. Like played on one of the most talented college teams and had a long productive NBA career. So I think that he might have the right mix of paying his dues, knowing and having relationships with some people in the building that matter in real specific ways, namely one of the top basketball decision makers and best player on the team, which is a good place to start. So I think that from that standpoint, he might be able to come in and have a leg up in areas where a first-time head coach who did not have those same relationships in his back pocket would not. That said, 
throwing a first-time coach into this environment with all that swirling yeah. around the Lakers, that's that's a big burden to carry as a head coach just because there's like so much turmoil. There's so much like uncertainty that there there's just a lot of fingers and pointing yeah. and and cameras directed and the spotlight is super bright, not in a oh, this is LA and it's the Lakers, but in a just everyone is invested in you in one way or another, either in succeeding or in failing or in just wanting to be able to get the content out of you. <laughs> you know? There's just so much more to deal with than in most head coaching gigs. And it's a hard enough job as it is. And whenever you move that one chair over, right, there's that old saying about it being a, you know, the longest distance in the NBA is the, the distance between that first assistant chair or the associate head coach chair to the head coach chair, even though they're right next to each other. There's so much new that you have to learn in becoming a head coach in the first place. And I'd actually think that that would be fine under normal circumstances, even with the Lakers. I am starting to be of that similar mind, though, of like, there's just so much of the other stuff. If we were more, if we were more stable, yeah, if he, we if, would be... Like when Riley got hired, right? Like, mm -hmm. Riley was a first-time coach, man. Like, he came out of the booth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He also inherited a team that had won the title, like, a year and a half before. You know, right, so, and it was chaotic and hectic when he got fired. Right, there was all you know sorts of drama. With there, was, and all that. there was, there but was, there was, but their they team, were good team, but their team yeah, was so good. Yeah. You know, like yeah. so, the expectations were legitimized in results just so recently. Right, so the Lakers carry this burden now of LeBron James and the Lakers and and. Who knows what happens in free agency and everything else, but the expectations are are either going to stay level or go up, right? They're not going to go down. I don't care that the Lakers missed the playoffs this season. Everyone is going to look at LeBron coming off the longest summer he's basically had since, what, his second year in the league in order mm -hmm. to train and they're going to be looking at him to come back with a vengeance. And whatever whatever jokes everyone got in this season and will continue to get in at the Lakers' expense, there will be doubters for sure. But there will also be people who are like, no, that's, that's LeBron James, you know? Like, it doesn't matter that he missed the playoffs last year. He's still one of the best whatever four or six or eight players in the entire league, that's that's a building block. You're supposed to be good. And, and I'm just not 100% sure how any new person is going to handle that, right? I think Lou is the only one who you could reasonably have any sort of expectation about how he slides in and what sort of stability he brings. I think there are questions with Monty Williams. I think that there are questions with Jawan Howard. And the questions with Jawan Howard also bring its own baggage of, well, this is going to be his first head coaching job, which is just more, right? Like, yeah. I don't know yeah. how that would really matter within his ability to do the job. I just know that it's going to be a thing until it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
and I and as such, I think that right now my my personal rankings are the order that we talked about them in, and, and that's Lou, Monty, and then Howard. Yeah, I think Howard is closer to Monty Williams, though. Like I th- I th- like I think the difference between one and two is m- is much bigger than the distance between two and three. Right there with you, man. All right, that was a good chat, my man. Uh, you've been listening to Laker Film and Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes <laughs> me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Vladi. Nice rebound to Vladi. Oh, magic ahead and go to Fink. Goes under and scores. With a standing ovation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. <laughs> Will you get these idiots out of here? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.